What to Know podcast explores best practices, innovation, and latest trends with industry experts with an eye toward helping you, the listener, stay ahead of the ever-changing marketing and communications landscape. Good afternoon. This is Aaron Strout, CMO of W2O and the host of the What to Know podcast show. And I am here in Austin, Texas, live from South by Southwest Interactive. And I now have the pleasure of interviewing someone that I've gotten to know a little bit recently, Joelle Kaufman, who is the CMO of Dynamic Signal, who's um, a great partner of W2O's, and she just got done speaking, talking about some things that we're going to talk about today. So first of all, welcome. Thank you. And then I do want to talk a little bit about your past before we get to the present. And so one of the things that I found out is um, you went to school, uh, business school, in my old neck of the woods. So I'm from New England originally. You're a Harvard Business School uh, alum. And so I grew up in Melrose, just outside of the city, lived in the city. You know, let's talk a little bit about what was Harvard like and how did you like your time when you were uh, in Boston? Cambridge, I should specify. Actually, you were right the first time. The business school is across the river, so it's actually in Boston. That's right, you're correct. I'm always envious of anyone who applies and is going to go because it's such a unique opportunity at a very formative point in your career to be in an environment of such diversity. I mean, everyone's interested in business, but everyone doesn't come from business. Everybody is there to learn and is a bit more grown up. You know, we, we have a very good time, but nobody, nobody is trying to figure out exactly who they are at this point. Most of us know who we are. And then through the business school, the kinds of speakers that come to do talks at classes, it's just a unique opportunity to learn. For anyone who wants to start a business, it's often a wonderful opportunity to find partners, to find the time to get advice from professors who have been successful or have coached other startups to success. Um, Of course, MIT is down the street. In fact, my first startup that I joined was an HBS MIT uh, out of the Media Lab, which a lot of people don't know about, but the MIT Media Lab is a bastion of innovation and opportunities to commercialize. So for me, you know, it was terrific intellectually. I also met my husband. He was a section mate, so it was pretty good personally. I've made great friends, and I treasure the time I spent in Boston. Well, it's a great place. It's less great during the winter. Um, You and I are both on the the best coast now. No disrespect (laughs) to our New England friends. Uh, But speaking of... MIT and all the opportunities, you've had sort of a ridiculous run, um, culminating obviously most recently in joining Dynamic Signal, which I think you've been there for how long now? Nine About eight months. months. Yeah, eight, eight months. or nine okay. months. Um, but before that, you've worked at some uh, very cool companies. You were um, at Westfield, you were the CMO at Bloom Reach and Adify, which I think probably some folks have heard of, Firefly Network, NetDynamics, Big Step, RSA Security, Engage.com. So, you know, you've had a really good run, and the Engage is probably one of your first jobs, right? Or maybe your second or a third. Firefly but, was the first. Oh, Firefly was your Firefly first Firefly was the first. So what does that look like? And, you know, you've spent 20-plus years in this um, You're just space. saying I'm old, Aaron. Uh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm 49, <laughs> and I've been in the space for 25 years. Right, so we're, we're, we're the same you, here. Yeah, um, so definitely not. You have a lot of experience <laughs> in your wise. Um, what, what does that look like, and how has this space... now? We'll get into what employee advocacy and employee communications are in a minute, but you've grown up in this sort of MarTech, you know, ad uh, space where technology is empowering things that marketers and communicators are doing. So walk us through that journey. Yeah, I was very 
lucky. It was the accidental. I got into Firefly because I wanted to figure out how we could sell more books. And the number one way people buy a book is it was recommended by someone they trust. And Oprah in 1995, was the biggest influencer. She's the one everyone trusted. So 55, 52 books a year got a big boost because they were in Oprah's book club. But 50,000 books a year are published. And I actually found I, I didn't have the same taste as Oprah. I didn't love the books she loved. I loved other books. And so I really needed to find a community of people that had tastes closer to mine that could provoke me and could give me things I want to read. So at Firefly, that's why I got in. But what it was about was how do we transform this nascent area of e-commerce and ultimately transform commerce by taking something that is accidental, not scalable, you know, word of mouth recommendation, and applying, in effect, artificial intelligence, right? This was automated collaborative filtering. So applying a very complicated form of technology and math to a very big database and come up with something that was uniquely personal and could transform a business. Now, today, if you're buying something online, you expect to see recommendations. People like you like this, or this would go with that. You just expect it to be there. But <clears throat> 25 years ago, that wasn't the case. And it was so exciting to be part of the transformation of a business and improving the consumer experience while transforming the business. And that's really been a big piece of my career, which is where, where are these transformational opportunities? So at Firefly, we saw the beginnings of ad tech. And I spent time, various points in my career, and ultimately at Adify, with what are the drivers to change advertising? How could advertising be personal and relevant? And today, Aaron, and I'm not involved with this, but today the technology is there to make the ads you see on your television relevant to you as the viewer. Not second screen, first screen. That's huge. Now, we have to consider all the privacy implications and do we want it, but at the end of the day, every study of consumers say as long as I get a fair value exchange and I have some control over the data that is shared and who can have it, I'd rather see more relevant stuff than less relevant stuff. Things that actually help me filter to what I care about or I need in my life versus noise, right? So ad tech, and that probably started in the mid-90s and now is considered mature. We all understand how programmatic works and bidding and why good campaign creative is important, but it has to be personalized and which audience are you going to target. On my journey, when I moved into marketing in 2003, having done product management, sales management, biz dev, all these other things, you know, I had never been in marketing. I went to work for a XML networking company and to me, the fact that I didn't have technology to manage my marketing seemed insane. I didn't understand how this was possible. So I became one of the first 50 customers of Eloqua. And then later I became a customer of Marketo at the next company because it just made no sense to me that I would be sending the same email to everybody and that I wouldn't be measuring it or there wouldn't be a series and a sequence or that I wouldn't be able to know that you, Aaron, who are a prospect that has engaged with me, are visiting me online 
and what you're interested in so that I could provide you a tailored experience and help you get what you want. And if what you want lends you, leads you to wanting to buy from us, obviously that's a good goal. But even more important is if what you want is something I don't have, the sooner I know that, the better I can allocate my resources. So I then saw the whole arc of MarTech and even at Bloomreach where we're using big data, AI again, and understanding preferences and search. I used to say to the CTO founder of Bloomreach, Ashutosh Garg, say, you know, people say when someone lands on your website, how can you personalize? You, you don't know anything about them. And he'd smile and say, but Joelle, I know so much. And he'd start listing all the interesting things he knows because you didn't come from nowhere, or even if you came from nowhere, that itself is an interesting piece of data that puts you into a segment. And so seeing how marketing has become more sophisticated, more robust and analytical, without giving up storytelling and creativity, because frankly, data is a reverse rear view mirror uh, answer, and what's gonna be compelling creative is a good story presented in an emotionally engaging way. Well, we saw that arc. And so at Dynamic Signal, I'm looking at the third arc. We've seen the ad tech arc. We've seen the MarTech arc. So now we have good ways and technologies to get our message out. Now we have to figure out how to get our message in. So that's, and, and that's a very nice way to bridge that gap. And so um, I had hoped that that was sort of where we were going with this. My question is, Let's start with what Dynamic Signal is. I know it very well. I love it. I advocate for it all the time. Um, there are some people that may not know. And then let's get into, actually, maybe even before we do that, what is this movement that you're getting to, this third arc? And you know why is it so impactful? And why is now that time to be doing that? Let me answer the second question first. That's fine. Answer them however you would like. So the most expensive and the most valuable asset of any enterprise is its people. I can argue, I've been asked by, when I joined Dynamic Signal, a bunch of sellers said, hey, could you build an ROI calculator for us? And I said, no. Now, as we said, I, I've gone to business school. I do know how to build ROI calculators. I'm perfectly fine building an ROI calculator. But the reason I can't build them an ROI calculator is the number is so big, it's stupid. The reason the number is so big, it's stupid, is there's almost nothing you want to do as an enterprise that doesn't require the alignment, engagement, and effort of your people. And the alignment, engagement, and effort of your people depends on communication and your incentive structure, both of which get remarkably little attention. We come up with, we've got this great strategy and it should work. And we don't think about why should people do it? What's working against them doing it? Do they know about it? Do they know how they can help realize it? And we say, well, that, that's all going to happen from their managers. Okay. How are we getting, I was talking, you know, wonderful speaker, Jennifer from Citibank, Citicorp. She's got 210 employees. So 1,000, 210,000. I was going to say, she 210, has 210 under pilot. Right, 210,000 employees. So one of the things came up was the best way to communicate is person to person. Of course it is. I think that's a wonderful concept. But at 210,000 employees, I have to think about how the person to person to person to person to person is going to communicate. And last I checked, the game of telephone always is amusing because of what ends up at the third, fourth, fifth, sixth 
person in the chain. So that's not going to scale. All right. So people are your most important resource, your most important asset. People have a lot of choices about how they spend their time. They need to be proud of what they do and committed to it. Again, something driven by communication. And we are at an unprecedented time in history. The last five years with the advent of smartphones and the 80% of working Americans that carry them and the 74 times a day the average American checks their smartphone, we are so distracted, we are so inundated that to get that message through that important message about alignment, about the value you have to me in this organization, you've got to use different channels. You've got to use multiple channels. You've got to be relevant. If you aren't targeted and relevant, you are ignored. So what does Dynamic Signal do? We are a platform, uh, an employee communication and engagement platform allows you to modernize, streamline, and measure all communications that you'd send segmented to however you want, whatever audiences. They can be internal. Usually they are. They also can be external. Allows you to optimize because that which you can measure, you can learn from. It integrates content from all the different sources. And while we do have an app, so people say, oh, it's an employee app. That is one of the distribution points, but you must free your content. So everyone who's using the app is going to get a great experience. But if what they like is Slack, if what they like is email, if what they like is SMS, if what they like is Cisco Spark, our job as communicators is to get the relevant, important information to people wherever they're going to engage with it, measure it, improve it, and measure the impact. That's what we do at Dynamic Signal. That's why 350 companies, enterprises around the world are working with us and really seeing a transformation in how they engage. And the transformation we talked about on the panel was bridging from the in the know to the in the dark. And bringing the in the dark into the know is unlocking unbelievable organizational capacity. That was a great comprehensive answer, and I think a lot of those themes came through. Um, you are talking to the head of comms at Ben & Jerry, the head of comms at Citi, uh, and then Mary Michael, who is um, in charge of comms and advocacy at uh, Otsuka. She was teaching me how to say the name correctly. Uh, but I will put in a little plug for you guys, and that is that we do work with you. Uh, I love Dynamic Signal. I run marketing at our firm, and it does make it stupid simple, not only the piece we use mostly right now is the advocacy. So getting the great content out. But one of the things you and Adam are teaching me, a little nod to shout out to Adam Keats, is how to do a better job at using it internally. And so this year, a lot of what I want to focus on is using some of those tools so that if you need to get out something that compliance says, you have to have everyone see this, right? Or if you have a communication, we have the luxury of most of our people do sit at a desk. But, you know, there are companies where if you have line workers or folks that are on oil rigs or whatever, being able to communicate with them over their smartphones is huge. So um, we will continue to be great partners of yours. And thank you for creating such a great platform. So, by the way, a feature that we released a couple of weeks ago, but you need to try it. We do newsletters now through Dynamic Signal. But the thing that's cool is for people that have the app, the newsletter is available on the app. And they can view everything. They can share from there. And they get this... 
uh, curated composite right on the phone. So they may not have checked everything that came through because they're doing their jobs and that's great. We want them doing that. But we have, uh, we do a series of different newsletters that go to different audiences and have different content. It's stupid simple. I may take that as a tagline, like stupid simple communication. Uh, but it's stupid simple. It's highly trackable and it's really great for the end user. Because again, going back to my book recommendations, if it's not good for the person it's targeted for, it doesn't matter how great it is for you and me. Totally agree. I, by the way, I was nodding a tremendous amount during the whole first part of your section, which people listening in can't see. Um, I do want to get to the book section and the fun part, but we will start with something which I can't wait to hear the answer. But what is something, and this is something I ask all the guests, what is something about you that people don't know that you're willing to share? <laughs> well, people probably don't know that the day before I started my first full-time job at Deloitte, I went to a Bruce concert in what was then Brendan Byrne Arena. It's called something else now. But uh, if you get to see Bruce in New Jersey, I mean, Bruce is great anywhere, but Bruce is spectacular in New Jersey. And my girlfriend and I got moved from the nosebleed to the front row. So now we're front row at Bruce. Can't get any better. On glory days, Bruce and the E Street Band come down and they dance as they move. And as they're dancing, I'm dancing, I'm having so much fun, someone grabs my arm which I do what any self-respecting Jersey girl does. I shook it off, like, get the F off me. Why are you grabbing me? The next person in line says, you should come. He wants you to go on stage. And so I was pulled up on stage by the boss to dance Glory Days at Brendan Byrne Arena. Wow. And I think based on when that was out, you probably didn't have a smartphone to capture no, it with a selfie. No, there's no video of it. So this we're <laughs> capturing it from an audio perspective. But that is pretty amazing. Uh, it my was wife fun. My wife is from New Jersey, and so uh, and I've been joking with Allie, who you know, um, about doing you know bringing the group to see something at someone at Stone Pony. So Brendan Byrne is his home. That's his you know his of course. Home. So you just mentioned books, though. I do like to help our guests build their library. So any uh, book or books that you've looked at over the last year that you'd like to share with the audience? So there's a book I'm working through right now that is uh, it's great. It's called Misbehaving by Richard Thaler. Richard Thaler won the Nobel Prize for Economics in 2016. But lest you think that I am sounding like a snobby intellectual, misbehaving is the story of the birth of behavioral economics. And this matters to all of us because behavioral economics is truly why do we make the economic decisions individually and as a society that we make. And when I was in college, Michigan, I studied a bit of economics, and I remember wrestling and failing with the rational decision-making. People will make rational decisions that optimize for their best outcome, and then there's all this evidence that they don't. And Richard Thaler, through research and through working with leaders in psychology and decision science, actually began testing and modeling and building an alternative model of economics called behavioral economics. And to me, it makes sense. It's fascinating. It's fascinating as a consumer, as a, a buyer of goods, a financial decision maker to say, oh, how am I manipulating? How am I being manipulated? How am I making bad decisions? But as a business leader, and I loved the line in one of your panels, that the marketer today should be a business leader who happens to specialize in marketing. That's what I've been saying since I got into marketing back in 2003. 
you got to be about the business. And then whatever marketing tactic I use is to drive that. Well, misbehaving is explaining the other side, which is how are buyers influenced by emotions, by groups. So it's a fascinating book. It's not a particularly dense read. It's written much more, I'd say, uh, it's accessible. It's accessible to people. And I think it's fascinating. Well, I'm all in. I'm going to try to pick up a copy because as a marketer, I'd like to know about this. And I, I'm a big believer in that. Last question. Um, this is the fun one that I love to do that everyone seems to have a tough time with, but I think you're going to answer it uh, well, which is you're stuck on a deserted island. You can ping, pick one album to bring with you. Which album is it and why? And I'm also going to check the door while you're answering that because I think someone was tapping on it. But okay. I, don't let that distract I you. I won't. Just adds to the color of the podcast. Absolutely. So... I actually struggled with it because there's so much great music and you know, Aaron, that I, I sing in a rock band. So I get to sing all these great covers from the seventies, eighties and nineties. So I love Fleetwood Mac and I love Pat Benatar and I, I love the brute, the boss, but I can't sing him. Um, I love Billy Joel. But when I thought about if I had to listen to one album forever, what album had enough variety made me smile and I liked all, almost every song on it, and it's Bad Out of Hell by wow. Meatloaf. So I don't think I knew you were in a band, although not shocked. <laughs> that would have been another good one to say, this is something people don't know about me, although maybe a lot of people do, and I didn't. Um, didn't, didn't see that one coming, but that's a uh, good choice. I have to tell you, I have a respect for Meatloaf now that growing up, I had a lot of friends that loved what was it? Um, Romance by the Paradise by the Paradise Dashboard Lights. The, the thirteen-minute yes. song with the whole baseball thing in the middle. Yes, uh, which is you know an <laughs> iconic song. I um, but I do have an appreciation for it, and that is interesting. And it, it this question is genuinely a test of what can you listen to. So I I shared David um, Kirkpatrick's White Album by the Beatles. Sure. One of probably three, but it's such a complicated album, and you can listen to it and get so much out of it. So I love that. Um, this is Aaron Strout, CMO of W2O Group. I am the host of the What to Know podcast show. I've had the luxury of spending the last 20 plus minutes with Joelle Kaufman, who's the CMO of Dynamic Signal. We're here at South by Southwest Interactive. She just got done giving a fantastic panel. So thank you, Joelle, for doing this. Thank you. Want more episodes of What to Know? We post a new episode every Thursday. Subscribe on iTunes, the podcast app, the Stitcher app, or Spotify, and view the podcast page at w2ogroup.com slash what to know.